0: Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We are in week seven of our series, The Life of Jesus. And this week, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, delivers a message regarding John the Baptist's questioning of whether Jesus was truly the Messiah. You can follow along with the message in Matthew 11, 1 through 19, and Luke 7, 18 through 35. You can also find our weekly message outline and resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app.
1: I know we love Brad's artistry and the artistry of others as well but I want to be sure you don't miss that message in the midst of appreciating the artistry the core of that of that song is give me jesus is that what you want above any above anything else above anything else we continue in our series called the study of the book, The Life of Jesus. I hope you have one. Buy one, five bucks. Read it, but read it with someone. Discuss it. Let it not only enter your mind, but enter your, your heart and your soul as well. Today's message is entitled Doubt and Denial. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Are you born again? Well, do you ever have any doubts? Chris, what about it? No doubts at all. Anybody else? You ever have any doubts? Let me hear it. Yes. I think you're in the minority. Let me see your hands. You ever have some doubts about the truth of what you've, you've embraced? I think most people do. And... Look at this. Take out your um, message guide. There's a verse right on the top. I do believe. Help my unbelief. You ever feel that way? I do believe. Help my unbelief. I caught Chris at a good day, see, so he didn't have... (laughs) Even John the fierce courageous baptizer our book calls him the baptizer instead of the baptist you know there's one there's one branch of baptists that link themselves all the way to john that linkage is probably too long but anyway this fierce courageous baptizer had doubts but let me say at the outset there's a glaring difference between doubters and deniers. And I'll deal with both today. As we begin, we see doubters seek reasons to believe. Open up your books. We're in reading 57. Let's take it from Matthew 11 and also Luke 7. Remember, it's a harmonization of both. And it says there, when Jesus had finished giving orders to his 12 disciples, which he sent them out, he moved on, apparently by himself from there, to teach and preach in their towns, which means the towns that surround the Sea of Galilee. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message by his disciples Luke tells us there were two disciples he sent and asked them, are you the coming one or should we expect someone else? Now, does this question from John surprise you? Surprise you? I think, we're, remember, we're, when we read these passages, if you spiritualize over the surface, you don't get much. So you have to climb into the story. So I'm surmising some of the things from the circumstances of John's life that may have caused him to question what he had been so certain about before. How could this man doubt Jesus' identity? He was John's cousin. He had been the the forerunner the one prophesied about, who announced the coming of the Messiah. When Jesus approached him there at the Jordan River to be baptized, he referred to him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He had heard the Father in heaven identify Jesus just as he was being brought up from the baptism. The Father said, behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then John, still in the water, saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus like a dove. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Now, apparently, as was the case most of the time, John's disciples had access to him in prison. People could come and visit you in prison. They often would bring food and they could sit and dialogue with you. Paul had the same situation. So these disciples had access to John in prison. And so he sent two of them to ask Jesus this question. Are you the expected Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? So from this text and from John's situation, I'm going to point out four reasons. Now you may have more than four. You may have four different ones. But these are four reasons that I think caused john and caused many of us to doubt today reasons to doubt the first reason is ignorance now ignorance means a lack of information it doesn't mean a lack of intelligence if someone tells you you're ignorant it does not mean you're not bright it means you're uninformed you're not aware now, John has been in prison for about a year. And there's no indication in Scripture that he's seen Jesus even before he was imprisoned. He's probably been 18 months since the baptism. And remember, John was living down near the Dead Sea. Jesus was living in what region? Galilee, in the north. The Dead Sea is is farther south than Jerusalem. So there was more than a hundred miles between these two. In a day with no telephone, no media. So John had not personally witnessed Jesus performing miracles. Even those he did in Jerusalem before he went to Galilee, John was farther south. So John hadn't heard him actually preach the good news. He hadn't heard him teach and instruct about the kingdom of God. John was certainly brought reports about Jesus' activities. But where did they get their information? They only heard what other people said because it had to travel the whole length of the country. Some of it was rumors. Some of it were stories. Some of it was probably real sensational. It may have been exaggerated. There could have been distortions and other people inserting their opinions. You remember in elementary school, we played a game where the teacher would whisper something in your ear. Remember that? What's that called? See, y'all call it telephone. We weren't that creative when I was a kid. We called it the whisper game. So, teacher would tell something, and and then they would pass it along, And then you'd ask the last kid what he heard. Well, you know, in reflecting on this... It just amazed me just exactly how corrupt I was as a kid. Because I never played those games by the rules. So somebody would tell me something and I'd turn it into something ridiculous just to be funny. It's amazing. It's amazing God saved me. I got paddled 32 times in the sixth grade. And I was the valedictorian. They said, there there must be aliens from outer space in this class. But I, I, I was, I don't know. I was just a corrupt kid. But back to the point. The word didn't travel reliably. There were all kinds of exaggerations. There were all kinds of sensationalism. There were stories that were added to or deleted from. People stuck in their own opinions. And so that's what John was getting. Many believers today doubt truths about God for the same reason, incomplete information. They haven't experienced Jesus personally. They haven't witnessed individually his miraculous work in them or in someone close to them. And they're largely ignorant of his word. Another cause of doubt Comes from influences. And I mean by this worldly influences. Not the influence of God or the Spirit. See the Jews had an idea about what the Messiah would be and do, right? And Jesus wasn't consistent with their ideas. Now, John was likely influenced, and perhaps he shared some of the same misconceptions that the rest of the Jews did. Jesus' own disciples shared those misconceptions, even through his crucifixion. Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. See, they thought that the Messiah would come primarily for what? Say it loudly to become a warrior king. Now, Rome hadn't always been dominating Israel, but they were at the time of Jesus because there had been Babylon, there had been Assyria, there had been a number of of occupying and oppressing countries. So, But the people had this expectation when the Messiah comes, he will reign as a king, he will act as a warrior, he will drive the oppressors from our land. And Jesus had done nothing like that. He didn't oppose Rome in words or even in actions at all. The Jewish people also thought that the Messiah, who would be supernatural, he was the son of David, but also the son of God, remember, he would eliminate all suffering in Israel. Disease would disappear. Affliction, hunger, pain would be ended in the nation. And so Jesus arrived and performed some amazing, wonderful, startling miracles for a few individuals in front of limited audiences. You know, when I was in Israel we saw what remained of the what had been excavated, the pool at Bethesda, a large pool with colonnades are there and all. And remember the story that you read, it was a reading of a little while back. And remember, ill people laid all around that pool. Remember that? You did, did you do your reading? Okay. And they thought that, well, how would someone be healed in that story? Yeah, the angel would ruffle the waters and the first one in got healed. And so, you know, Jesus asked this guy, do you want to be healed? He said, yeah, but nobody, I got no one to help me get in the pool. And Jesus healed how many? One. And the entire poolside was covered with sick people. One. And that's why they were furious and wanted to throw him off the hill. When he said, I'm not healing everyone. I may not even heal a Jew. I may heal a Gentile. Made them furious. The suffering in Israel hadn't ended. Jesus fed 5,000. Do you realize that that was only 5,000 men? If their wives and children were there, he fed 10, 12, 15,000 perhaps. There at the seaside beside the Sea of Galilee, the lake. And when he when he did, when he took the five loaves and two fishes and he multiplied them and then they collected 12 baskets after everyone had all they could eat, the people started saying, this is the prophet. We need to make him king. John 6, 14 and 15. And you know how Jesus responded? He left. John would have, Probably heard that. Here he had, he had performed a miracle. He got the people's support. They wanted to crown him. He refused the crown and walked away. He'd done nothing to change the brutal political and military practices of Rome. He'd done nothing to correct the corrupt religious system in Israel. Nothing. Nothing. So what the world expected him to be, he wasn't at all. People today are influenced by the world. It might be so-called experts who criticize the reliability of the Scripture or the reality of creation. And it sounds like this, educated people do not believe in such ridiculous things as God creating the world. When I was in seminary, it came out like this. No respected scholar believes that Moses authored the Pentateuch, which is the first five books. Well, I didn't agree with the professor, so I got a wealthy friend of mine to buy a couple of cases of books that confirmed the inspiration of the scripture, and I started passing them out on campus. I don't know where Leanne is, but she'll tell you I was not a real popular figure on that seminary campus. We were fighting the battle for the Bible, but I don't know how much she enjoyed it. But but see, we were just condescended to. We were intimidated. Pop culture influences by rejecting any biblical restraint on behavior as intolerant And judgmental. Sounds like this. A loving God will not limit whom you want to love. That really does sound reasonable. But it's not what God said. Or or God is good. He won't condemn anyone to eternal judgment. Again, I would vote for that position. But it isn't true. You see what I'm saying? I don't get to decide who God is and neither do you. I don't get to define him. I get to obey him. Some doubt because of expectations. See, now you 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 know how John preached. So what did he expect Jesus to do when he came? You know? Attack the Romans, but what else? He's going to bring what? Peace? Bring a sword? He expected Jesus to come in exact judgment against sin. Why do you say that? Well, look at the screen. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, this is John, about John, coming to the place of baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, that's a compelling address, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Even now, the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. They said, what should we do? And so he told them then to share what they had, to exercise good works. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they ask him, teacher, what should we do? That's a little bit out of place. See, then he told them, share what you have. Jesus answered them all. I baptize you with water, but the one is coming who is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel or fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff, he will burn up with fire that never goes out. He was a real compelling preacher, wasn't he? John was the first prophet to speak for 400 years. After Malachi. And John knew that the message he'd been given. To deliver was given to him by God. But Jesus didn't carry out the judgment. Jesus demonstrated miracles. But Jesus kept using his power. To heal and forgive. Not to judge. Now if you were John. And you'd been. Just screaming at the people, he the Messiah is coming, and he will judge, and then he comes in and forgives. How would you have felt? Jonah did the same thing. Jonah was mad because God forgave the Ninevites. So John's expectation of Jesus weren't met, and what John had been preaching. Didn't occur. Today we may wonder. Why does God allow. Injustice. Corruption. Dishonesty. Without correcting wrongs. And punishing evil people. Don't you ever wonder that? And it may come out like this. If God's real. He would punish the wicked. He would protect the weak. He would preserve the poor. And so we doubt. A very common reason that we doubt is that we suffer. We experience suffering. John had been fearlessly faithful to God. Called the sinners to repent. Rebuked the religious leaders. And even even scolded very important people like the governor of Galilee. Who was a son of King Herod who was on the throne when Jesus was born. Now's his son, Herod Antipas, who's the governor of Galilee. And scolding this governor led to his imprisonment. Look at the screen again. For Herod had arrested John, chained him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to to have her. See, see. Herod Antipas was more powerful and he liked the looks of his brother's wife, so he took her. Kind of like Henry VIII, wasn't it? So Henry VIII just wanted to get rid of one and get another one. And so John scolded him. He said, You can't have your brother's wife. And Herod had him imprisoned. Didn't John obey God? Didn't he say what was really right according to God's law? Didn't he? But he ended up in prison and soon he would lose his life. They had a birthday party for Herod. And this woman who he had taken from his brother had a daughter who could dance. You know her name? Well, her, the wife's name was Herodias. What's the daughter's name? Come on, y'all. We're going to stay here all day. Salome. That's it. So she danced. She broke it down like Beyonce. And Herod was, so, Herod was so thrilled by it. He was so pleased. And remember, he had all these guests. So he's, you know, popping off. And he said, oh, you're, you're dancing so well. Ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. You know what she asked for? She asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod didn't want to do it. Herod both feared and respected John. But he was so proud and he had, had all these folks my mother would say he was putting on the dog. Y'all know that phrase. He was all arrogant, and you know he made this boast. But but now, because he's opened his mouth, and everybody's looking at him, he has John the Baptist beheaded, and the head carried in on a platter. Just because of a man's ego and sin. John had dedicated his entire life to God. John made a vow. In fact, it was made to John's father that the angel said he will be a Nazarite, which being a Nazarite meant no alcohol at all. No wine, no beer, no fermented drink of any nature. So some of you aren't qualified to be Nazarites already. He also would never cut his hair. And he couldn't ever come in contact with a dead body. Even a relative, even a parent, even a friend. Because it would make him unclean. Now, this Nazarite vow was made by both men and women, but usually it was for a limited time. For John, it was for a lifetime. There are only two other in the Scripture who were Nazarites for a lifetime. You know who they were? Samson and Samuel. Who said that over here? That it. You get a star. The only there were only three. So here he has sacrificed his life in service of God in exchange for his dedication. He receives imprisonment, shame, hunger, physical torment, loneliness, and ultimately death. And so if you're John, you're in prison, would you wonder, how did this happen to me? I did nothing but obey you. Have you abandoned me? Anybody ever ask God that? Have you forsaken me, God? You don't have to raise your hand. Happens today. When a Christian who has sacrificially served God for many years, perhaps they tied their money, they served, they volunteered, when that person experiences a tragedy, it is difficult not to wonder about God's love and God's concern. When a loved one is lost to illness, we're tempted to ask, where are you, God? Some of you right now. God, don't you care about me? God, how did this happen? I've served you. I've, I've, I've been generous. I've, I've done all these things. Now my child's in rebellion. Now my, my parent is dying with a disease. I may have something wrong with me. I lost my job. Something terrible has happened. How did this happen? Is that reasonable? I didn't say right. I said reasonable. Understand this. We hold faith, this magnificent faith, what do we hold it in? You all know this passage? We hold it in jars of clay. See, what we have, what we possess is beyond description and value. But it is hard for a clay human to hold it always. So how do we deal with our doubts? Most of you raised your hand that you have, your hand, that you have doubts. How do we deal with them? You stuff them? Do you think you stuff them? You have to either nod yes or no. Do you think you should stuff your doubts? You should deny you have doubts? What should you do? What John did, somebody over here said it. You take them directly to Jesus. That's what John did. You said, well, he was in prison. No, but he sent representatives. He took those doubts. He didn't deny he had them. See, some of us would have never owned up to it. John cared about his faith being clear too much to just stuff it in prison. Deny he felt that way. He sent his representatives. Go ask him. Are you the coming one or should we expect someone else? And you know, what was Jesus' response? Now... This, this harmony doesn't state it as clearly, but Luke seven twenty one on the screen says clearly that, John, that Jesus performed miracles right then. They walked up and said, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for someone else? And at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. And then as this translation says, Jesus replied to them. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor are told the good news. He fulfilled the messianic prophecy in Isaiah 35, 5. Do y'all think John was, that Jesus was disappointed in John's lack of faith? Do you? Well, then why do you always think Jesus is disappointed in you? Here's what Jesus said about John. It's right there at Matthew eleven eleven, At the bottom of the page of 75. I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Now he adds, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. But there's never been a human man or woman greater Than John the Baptist but greater still are those who are born again into the kingdom of God and then he spoke approvingly about John I'm not going to preach all this part but you can see from verse 7 down through verse 15 on the next page he talks about John and John's ministry in approving in approving fashion But Jesus didn't relieve John's suffering. Jesus didn't free John from prison. But he did send reassurance through these eyewitnesses that he was the Messiah. See, here's, when we're suffering, we don't need an answer to why. We need Jesus. It's reassuring to us that even a man like John could have doubts. And like John, the answer to every one of our doubts is found in seeking Jesus. See, this this reason to doubt, ignorance about Jesus' life and work, we can remove it by seeking to know him, by studying his word, the Bible. And that's, that's the reason behind us Studying this life of Jesus. Just because I felt like if we're going to live in pursuit of Christ, we need to know who we're pursuing. See, if you don't know much, you can just attribute anything to Jesus. He's sweet. He's kind of passive. He's sort of soft. He'll he'll just become who I want him to be. Here's the problem. When you really start studying whom, whom he is, You can't define his identity. You can only conform to his identity. You see what I'm saying? It's a little threatening, isn't it? But get a book. Start reading. Pray through it. Join a group. Study. Let's figure out who Jesus is so we know how to relate to him. The influences of this world can be resisted just by consulting some resources. There's plenty of resources. They're called apologetics. Reasons to believe. They're up in the bookstore. Um, I posted, if you go to the page where it actually shows today's message, it says resources. And there is an article that that asks this question, is evolution supported by scientific evidence? I brought a man here years ago, Dr. Stuart Patterson. It, some of you were probably here then. You remember? You remember him? To speak on this topic, now, I didn't bring a guy from a Christian school. Stuart Patterson at that time was the dean of faculty, was the chairman of the department of chemistry for Furman University. And he had firmly believed in evolution until some Christians challenged him to really study it. And he studied himself into believing God's the creator and even a young earth. Well, you're not gonna make me believe a young earth Well, I don't even have to. What I said is doubters need a reason to believe. That's all. You need a reason to believe. But while you're at it, all this millions and billions and dating, radiocarbon 14 dates a half-life of 7,000 years, which means they can accurately date 14,000 years. Everything else is circular reasoning, circular dating, and speculation. So just do some reading. That's on our website. There's stuff in the up in the um, bookstore. Expectations of God was another reason to doubt. My expectations, my personal expectations of Jesus, when he doesn't do what I want him to do, you know how I get resolved? I know him. See, you know you is no answer. And you projecting your personality on, or your preferences to him is of no value. But time in prayer, time led by the Spirit, time in his word, learning who he really is will completely change your expectations. You see how we project our expectations on him? It's not valid, is it? Suffering painfully. God does heal. We've seen healing since we've been praying here at the front. And I'm aware of some miraculous healing. But not every time. He didn't come to heal everyone. He could have. He didn't when he was on earth. As a man, he doesn't today. But he does heal some. So he doesn't always heal. But you know what he always does? You know what he always does? He always comforts. He always comforts. But this comfort. If you want comfort from Jesus. You're only going to get it. How? Intimacy with him, meeting him. Now, I just described some ways to deal with all of our doubts. Are any of them simple? Are some of them, do some of them require no time at all? We wonder why we're full of doubts, but we haven't spent any time seeking the son of God. God. We haven't asked the question. We haven't sought the resources. We haven't spent the time in prayer. We haven't learned to experience his Holy Spirit. That's where the answers are. And then Jesus said this. In verse 6. And if anyone is not offended because of me. He's blessed. You know what he's saying there? If my life. If my ministry doesn't offend you, but you can see through it by faith, and trust me, you'll be blessed. But you understand, you're not going to be blessed by having every question answered. What does that have to do with trust? They're answered by having a relationship with Jesus Christ that's personal. Here's the truth. You know what? You can have all these questions, all these doubts. And what will happen is if you enter an experiential relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you know what happens to your questions? Gone. Gone. You know, somebody was saying, well, you know, Hugh Ross believes in creation, but he believes it's millions of years, billions of years old. And Ken Ham believes in a young earth, and I'm not sure which one. I don't care which one. You just need to know God's the creator. And there is even academic, intellectual, rational reason to believe As in John's case, true believers can have honest doubts about why Jesus did something. I mean, there's a few things I would do differently, man. If I was Jesus, I'd change the Congress. I mean, it would, oh boy, I mean, it'd be. But criticism and indifference and dogmatism don't come from Doubters. They come from the ones I call deniers. Doubters look for reasons to believe, deniers seek excuses to reject. Even though Jesus performed miracles to prove he was the Messiah, most of the Jewish people refused to accept and believe in him, even the ones that witnessed the miracles. Jump down to 16. I told you uh, Jesus had spoke approvingly of John and his ministry. But then go down to 16. To what should I compare this generation? And that's just a, a Jewish expression to introduce an illustration. It's the way rabbis talk. How can I illustrate this point? Is what he's essentially saying. It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to each other, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. You know what that means? It's kind of confusing, isn't it? I told you I'm trying to preach the ones that I think are most confusing. What this is talking about is when the parents were shopping in the marketplace, the kids would gather together to play, right? Here's what they would play. Children would play wedding and funeral. Aubrey loved to be, I think she was married 450 times before she got married two years ago, actually, as a kid. So the children would play wedding, but they'd also play funeral. We don't see that much in our culture, but those were the two games they played. And so that's what he's saying. Okay, we played the flute like at the wedding, but you won't dance like at the wedding. We played a dirge, is what some translations say. Or we sang a lament and you won't mourn. In other words, it doesn't matter what we do for you, you don't want any part of it. Because the kid was over there saying, no, I'm not playing that. No, I'm not playing that. No, I'm not playing that. I'm not participating in that. And then Jesus applied that illustration to John the Baptist. For John did not come eating or drinking. Luke says, eating bread or drinking wine. And they said he has a demon. John lived a simple, bare, ascetic, austere lifestyle as a Nazarite in the desert near the sea of near the Dead Sea. Remember what he wore? what did he wear? Camel skin. I mean, camels are not soft. So he wore this coarse camel skin garment, cinched up with some kind of leather belt. And what did he eat? Locusts and honey. Okay, here's a question. I want to vote from you, from you folks, even up there in the cheap seats. Was the locust a pod from a carob plant? Who thinks that? Hands. Or was it a winged grasshopper? Who thinks that? The Greek doesn't tell us which it is. (laughs) Could be either one. But the point here is he just scrounged for what he could find to eat. He wore these clothes. He lived in a cave somewhere. His message was serious and somber, required repentance and good works. But the people, instead of listening to him and saying he has a good point and accepting the rebuke for sin and repenting and changing the way they lived, what'd they do? They didn't like what he said, so they said, you're demon-possessed. Have you noticed if you can stick a label on someone You don't have to listen. Unfortunately, our political world is full of that today. You're a racist. You're a Nazi. You're a, you know. If I can say something awful about you, I don't have to listen to you anymore. That's what they did to John. And then the son of man came eating and drinking, socializing with people, went to dinner parties, talked to them, and they said about him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of sinners and tax collectors. So he acted normally, socially, you know, he went to weddings. He, he, he traveled through the country. He talked to people. He ate dinner with them. And they called him a glutton and a drunkard. And he hung around with these outcasts. In other words, it doesn't matter what we do. They're not interested. We can't please them. There were no real objectives that could have been made about the lives of either John or Jesus. So the opponents used these exaggerations and lies to impugn their characters so they didn't have to hear their message. You understand that? If I could put some ugly label on you, I no longer have to listen to you. And that's exactly what happened. So they refuse to respond to either man. Like children who whine and complain and don't want to participate in any game. These are deniers. They don't want to believe. They're not really thrown off by whether it's evolution or the state of our culture or or injustice. Those are excuses to avoid taking the claims of Christ seriously and they'll use any of it and, and these are reasonable things suffering and injustice in the world except in certain practices as sin, as sin even immoral behavior of people who identify themselves as Christians much less the creation evolution argument but, the, but they're not pursuing God in those issues those are just their stop issues You see what I'm saying? I don't like to see injustice, but God is. I don't know why people die and and everyone's not healed, but the truth is God is. So I have to deal with him, even though there's a few things I would change. If those issues or any other makes it hard for you to believe, explore your doubts. Ask your questions. Stand in the backyard and shout at God. But don't stop communicating with him. You know what? God's not intimidated by you asking. The possessor of truth is never threatened by questions. But study, read, Pray fast. Pursue answers. And as you pursue, suddenly the answers will become less important. Ask God to show you himself. And when he does, your doubts, they'll disappear. He closes with this. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Pursue, have the wisdom to pursue relationship with Jesus. Trust God. He'll vindicate himself. Counselors will be here at the front. They'll talk with you. They'll pray with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. But just what does God want from you? And where are you standing today? A doubter, then ask the question. A denier, you need to take a look at that. Father, how we thank you for your word. Show us where we stand. If we have questions, Lord, give us answers. But beyond answering our questions, give us yourself that we might know you and then other questions become unimportant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this week's messages or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. Also online, you can find our weekly message resources and a presentation by Dr. C. Stewart Patterson entitled Evidence for Creation. It's the one that Perry referenced during his message, all of which you can find available to download on our website, brookwoodchurch.org forward slash messages or on our Brookwood Church app. We thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.